0: G'day, Tim here with a message from our podcast sponsor, Arcteryx. We Are Explorers and Arcteryx have been working together for years now. We love their commitments to the environment. their diversity initiatives and their hardcore, great-looking gear. What I want to tell you about is their Arcteryx Winter Film Tour. Uh, They've got two short films, Maven by Divya Gordon, which also features Kate Donald, a regular We Are Explorers contributor and gear reviewer. And there's Convergence by Taylor Benny Fall. Both films shine a light on skiers and snowboarders in the backcountry in Australia. Uh, What makes them feel at home? How it's special to them? And what they do is they have the filmmakers, the cast and crew on stage for special Q&As. They talk about the process of making films in the backcountry, you know, up in the mountains, uh, the boundaries they're pushing and basically gives you a bit of behind-the-scenes look to these gorgeous films. Uh, Tickets are $17.30 and it's touring throughout July. They've got Basically, all of the ski resorts, Buller, Hotham, Falls, Ginderbine, Canberra, Threadbow, Bright for screenings, as well as Melbourne. Uh, So if you're near the snow, if you're heading down, uh, if you live near there, definitely go and check out one of these film screenings. We'll have info in the show notes uh, and on the We Are Explorers events calendar. Cheers.
1: From We Are Explorers, I'm Henry Bryden, and this is the Inside Out series. Up until a few years ago, Dan G spent most of his time indoors. When he clocked off from his 9-to-5 pathology job, spent largely in a lab with no windows, he'd head back home and play video games. Fast forward to 2022 and Dan's a fully qualified adventure tour guide, taking groups of people into the Australian bush to experience the benefits of nature and living adventurously. Lots to unpack there. So I decided to go meet him to understand how this metamorphosis happened. We recorded the podcast with Dan, better known as Hike and Seek, On the Grand Canyon Loop Hike in the Almighty Blue Mountains. And it's an inspiring and an evolving tale of personal change, of being prepared to pendulum swing your life's direction based on a hunch that you just can't let go of. It's about breaking down outdoor stereotypes, and it's about his mission to share the power of the outdoors with others. The series is made possible by the legends at Arcteryx. Ark are huge supporters of the outdoor community in Australia and advocate for inclusivity and accessibility through partnerships with individuals and groups that do some seriously cool shit. I hope you enjoy the show.
2: All right. I guess this is where we begin. We're at the Blue Mountains. We're starting off at the Evans Lookout here at Blackheath. Before we even begin, we need to always uh, pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land, and on this land, the Gundungara and the Darug people, and that they still own it, but in fact, they're always so willing to share it with us. I think that's such a beautiful thing. And we're very lucky to have this land to be able to hike upon and see so much beauty for our eyes and... Yeah, we're very thankful to them for it. I think I'm really keen to
1: explore initially is what life was like for you before you found Adventure. You know, I'm keen to find out a bit more about what kind of kid you were. Um, how did you spend your time outside of school as a kid? You just paint the picture for me a little bit.
2: Let's just begin with, I guess I've I kind of moved around when I was a young kid. So I was born in Summerhill, moved out west to Doonside, which is west of Blacktown, some people will know, and I eventually found myself in the ride right area in a town of Eastwood, uh, famous for the Granny Smith, if some of you guys know, the um, Tasty Apple.
1: Is that the home of the Granny Smith?
2: Yeah, it is. That's Are you where kidding That's the first me? Um, Granny Smith was uh, cultivated. <laughs> That's mad. Her actual name wasn't Granny Smith, but the lady's name uh, was nicknamed. Ah, Smith, so okay. That's and there's a festival every year that's being celebrated for that. Ah, oh, I've yeah. moved
1: away from the Granny Smiths, I'm more of a Pink Lady man now myself. But oh, I like that's the a jazz debate. Apples. That's a know. debate for another. Yeah. Jazz <laughs> apples. That's yeah. controversial. Oh, here we go.
2: <laughs> 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 yeah. So I guess my main story probably starts in Eastwood, where I was moved there when I was eight years old, and I began just as a normal kid growing up in the suburbs. Mm. I guess. I was never truly outspoken. I was very shy, quiet, nothing like what I do today. So I was mm. kept to myself. I probably had four or five friends. If something's consistent throughout my high or uh, my primary school to high school years, mm. I was in chess club throughout. I was um, in the library most of the time in lunchtime doing. You know, I even booked on. Um, computer sessions just to play games during lunchtime. This is what I was doing throughout yeah. my... So all of this was just so far away from the outdoors life. Mm. and it's, If I look back on it now, it's amazing to see in what universe did I actually take this step to he- head into the outdoors. Mm. I think even the people I used to socialize with back then, they had the same interest, played games, played just indoor... There was nothing really related to the outdoors that I did. I yeah, guess wow. I played a bit of soccer with the mates. Yeah. And that did continue into the more later university type mm-hmm. years. But there was nothing truly outside of that comfort zone mm-hmm. that I'd um, head out into. So it was always within that circle of friends. And even that, so even though we live in Australia, I guess um, me being of Asian descent, I always hung out with that small group of Asian friends. Mm-hmm. And it was. Mostly because it was a comfort thing. I didn't want to venture out and try to make myself uncomfortable in any Mm, sense. Yeah. And I think as I was growing up, there would obviously be the one or two family trips you'd go on, you'd be exposed to nature. I didn't actually see or feel a connection with it per se at the time. There are specific moments that I could draw back on, but I could honestly say that I don't think the spark for nature grew Back then, it mm. was something that happened for me a lot later in life, mm. and to put one key uh, moment will be almost impossible. I think there was a range of things that happened. Yeah, it's hard to. Yeah, it's
1: it's, it's different for everyone, isn't it? I think um, some people are fortunate enough to get kind of born into it because they're you know raised in a teepee in Mongolia or oh. you know they've got like a you know parents who are just like you know they put you in the backpack as soon, you know before you can walk kind of thing. Or it might be, you know, a teacher at school who gets you into outdoor ed or things like that. But for a lot of people, those like, those like gateways into, into the outdoors don't present themselves that, that easily. And I suppose the way that society's going, it's becoming kind of almost a bit harder for, for kids to kind of find, to find that if they're growing up in, in the suburbs. But, um, but everyone kind of, I, I suppose, you know, gets struck by adventure or, or, you know, nature at some point. So so can you talk to me about how that happened for you?
2: I guess this is where things get interesting for my aspect. Yeah. I, I think, let's date it back to about 2012. This is when I was still within my comfort zone, yeah. still playing soccer and doing the daily... The schedule for every week was the same. you attend uni or you yeah. do whatever there was to do and then top it off with, say session of soccer with community soccer with all the friends and that would leave barely enough time to do anything else because the night time was taken up by computer games even to that point video games computer games I think some a fateful day in 2012 um it was about April I'd say I and managed to uh, fracture my foot and that stopped me from engaging or playing with in, with soccer with my friends and I think it was that point I did suffer a little bit of a because of depression kind of feel, and there was other things that did contribute, but ultimately I wanted to work on my fitness and get back into it. Mm. And for some reason I couldn't walk because that was a difficult thing rehabbing at the time. So I decided I'm gonna try and drive and drive to different spots that I'd never seen before. And i headed to Canberra for a few days but on my own. That was a bit of a really new experience. That was something that I'd never even dreamt of it was I guess people would think what's there to do in Canberra or, or that's what I was asked that far back but, but now I think about it it was probably one step just getting me closer to where I am now then <laughs> yeah. there was a moment when I truly started to heal my fracture foot started getting better and then in 2013 there was a day when I just dropped what I was doing one day and I thought I'm gonna head up the coast to Newcastle and I just drove my car without any plans whatsoever. I thought I'd just stop at every river or inlet that I could and just see if there's a nice thing to look at. For those that live on the central coast will know a place called Chittoway Point. It's just on Tagara Lakes. And I just drove my car along there. It was a absolutely still day. Amazingly just calm. Sun's out. few clouds in the sky. And I just look over to my left and theres lake, Tiger Lake, is still as possible. And there's a few uh, black swans and flying uh, mm. just floating around. And I just looked out. The reflection of the sky was just perfectly glazed onto the top of the water. And at that moment, I realised I love nature. It's just amazing. And I just took a photo of that moment. This is 2013. Mm. It was just a wow moment. Mm. And... To this day, um, I began my Instagram back in 2013, mm. uh, September, and that's my first photo I ever put up. Mm. It's just pretty much symbolises the beginning of my adventures so Because that one defining moment just showed I love nature. This is just mm. amazing. It wasn't like mm. I headed somewhere with a plan, but it was just this beautiful scene that you couldn't make up. And, it just, and I headed back. And that's where I probably drew my first inspiration from. Mm. There were other moments such as, uh, you guys might know, you know, the, uh, the movie, uh, *Circle Life of Water Mitty*. Yes. Yeah, the one where Ben Stiller's just in his normal um, Times Magazine job yeah. and his working office hours, suddenly gets the um, feeling of, you know, I'm going to leave my job and head out into something crazy. Mm. Mine was not anywhere near as crazy as that. Mm. But the fact that I thought, hey, I watched it. I got a bit of inspiration. One day I uh, finished work at the hospital. I decided I'm not going home today. Looked up a motel in the Blue Mountains, mm-hmm. headed straight there and stayed overnight. And the rest of the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, I was doing my first ever solo hike. This was 2014. Mm-hmm. And this happened to be National Pass in Wentworth Falls. And even though it was my first hike, and if I look back on it now, I was underprepared. I probably didn't have enough water on me and whatnot. Yeah. But I did this amazing walk, and there was waterfall upon waterfall. And it was the feeling that I got just being immersed in nature by myself as well. I passed a few people along the way. I even passed an elderly gentleman who shared an apple with me. And that was also a defining moment, just the way that people can be so charitable and helping out each other. And I think those moments have been key to how I see things even until now. Mm-hmm. And I think that just grew to the next week that I went out. For some reason, I wanted to do something that nobody else, I thought, was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. I headed to Wollemar National Park. For those you, for those of you who know, um, most of the roads in that park are off unsealed, they're off trail and quite bumpy. So I had an old Holden cruise that was just battling its way through there somehow made it to the glowworm tunnel and had a hell of a time there as well and it was yeah. just
0: it's amazing it's <laughs> amazing so like
1: um it's really cool to hear you talk me through it because it's almost like you had um that trip that you did up to Newcastle was the sort of pivotal moment really where it started to open your eyes to like a whole new like sort of lens to see the world sort of thing um and then just hearing you talk about it as well, it's like, you know, it, it opened up the door for you and then it's like, right, I just need to like keep diving a bit deeper into, into this and and different ways of of sort of exploring it by yeah. the sounds of it. It's like, you were, like, were you literally going out from that moment? Was it like, wow, this is, you know, it was so exciting that you were like every week from that moment onwards, it was like, right, get me, get me out there.
2: Yeah. So from that gap of 2012 to 13, I mean, 2013 to 14, when I saw that, uh, Tiger Lake view mm. and then to when I first actually went on that solo hike when it falls what was holding me back was that comfort zone that I'd been mm. so um, stuck in Yeah, and I think including watching the movie that mm. just helped me to yeah, right. get out and just do something for myself and not wait for somebody else to join me because yeah. I'd been asking other people do you want to do this and everyone would say no and I'd take a step back and wait mm. but I stopped doing that and from that point on. Okay, There was no coming back. So we're going to come back up these stairs, so that's going to be fun later on. Yeah, you'll see as we descend down this track, it all starts off as eucalyptus and more scrubs up here. But you know at a certain point, probably halfway down, it just becomes ferny, less trees, that's obviously because the sunlight reaches uh, reaches less of the uh, vegetation down near the bottom. So you've got more ferns instead of the tall eucalyptus. And here, we're here in summer at the moment. So the best of the flowering season has kind of passed. When you'd be coming through in spring, you'd see a lot more wildflowers. and mm. oh, But still... Nice, and it looks like there's been rain not too long ago, so you've got a great scent of just forest, you can lift this around Oh, I think that's actually a thornbill there Yeah, they make the little chick 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 chick, chick sounds, but <sighs> Hard to imitate a bird sound directly, but yeah that sound There you go, we have a thornbill here, right in front of us You'll notice it has it's very round it's got black stripes on its um chest it's a thornbill very common in all the areas it's funny how all these small birds are kind of they're different but it's hard to identify. that's one of the more easier ones to identify by sound yeah, yeah. Yeah. in korea hiking is which is my ethnicity ethnic background the culture there for hiking is you can't hike until you've got all your gear so nobody in it's very (laughs) rare to see someone on a mountain in Korea yeah without like winging it yeah oh yeah yeah. I mean you can't find anyone winging it Mm. you have to have gear head to bottom so you have and you'll be hard pressed to find somebody without hiking poles it's almost like a golden rule You. (laughs) so it's just if you don't have the right gear you shouldn't be up here kind of mentality there okay And I guess it's sort of exclusive, so that some people can't ever experience it because they don't want, they don't know if they want to. But again, people are more prepared there. Yeah, yeah. So there's less accidents and people getting stuck in the middle of nowhere like you, like I did myself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Pardon my total ignorance, but Korea, right? So, what's the sort of outdoor scene like
2: there? So Korea is, oh, about 70% mountainous region. Um, If I'm not mistaken. Really? Yeah, so, and the other, so let's put it this way. South Korea is about, just only a little bit bigger than the whole land size of Tasmania. Is that right? Yeah. But South Korea has double the population of the whole of Australia. So you can imagine putting double Australia into um, the size of Tasmania. and it's, And then you put 70% mountainous region onto that. You can just see how stacked yeah, and how right. jam-packed everything is. Whoa. So there's mountains everywhere for climbing and hiking. Yep. And they're great because they're like high rise. They're just tough. Like one day, you go to the top, yeah. you see amazing views. Yeah. But those views are almost always a combination of nature and buildings. Okay. Because you always have a yeah. town at the bottom.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's, it's very different. Like Because I've hiked there a few times myself. Yeah. And I guess everyone in Korea, no one knows what a um, canyon is because everything is, you start at the bottom, you go up. There's not really anything that goes down into a valley. Yeah. And their definition of hiking is climbing a mountain. Okay. Yeah. So it's a bit foreign to them when they come to the Blue Mountains and there's no climbing. It's just yeah, the okay. Three Sisters right there. Yeah. Okay. Whatnot. And that's where I guess part of my international market or the people that I've helped over the years is to let them realise it's not just all about mountain climbing but you can find beauty in just say on a level plateau you can be down in a gorge somewhere it's not all about mountains And Mm. different ethnicity or different cultural backgrounds have had different exposures to different environments Mm -hmm. I think it's just great to actually talk with them and see what they've gone through what they've seen yeah and see how it differs yeah and i just think yeah it's i've i've probably learned a lot more than i'm able to teach other people or share with other people and i think that's a blessing it only yeah. helps to increase i guess what i can share with other people yeah
1: i think like you know traditionally the outdoors has been seen and probably has been a pursuit for certain types of people, but I think that that's changing massively. But keen to hear your thoughts on on diversity in the outdoors, you know, from from your perspective.
2: So the diversity definitely has changed because I've been trying to do this for, since about two thousand and thirteen, and I think social media is the biggest platform where that is evident because people post up where they've been or they interact with you. I think the interactions I had back then weren't predominantly with Westerners or 90%. And there was undoubtedly a lot less Asians or the same ethnicity as me. And that has changed over time. I think the stigma is slowly breaking where like Asians may be staying at home or stay in their comfort zone and not do something more um, outdoorsy. But I'm glad that it is changing. And it's something that, I've had to break out of personally, so I do understand what they're going through. And a lot of people do come and send inquiries to me saying, this is my first helmet. I don't really know what to do, but can you guide me along, along the right place? In the first two, three years, people asking me for directions on how to get to a place was probably the number one reason why people talked to me. It wasn't for anything else. Um, and then eventually that turned more into, can you take me out there rather than just asking for the directions. But that's slowly changing into more different ethnicities also starting to ask, how can I go about doing this? This is my first time. Or, and I think it's really great to see people are taking a step. And that's not something that I've changed, but it's something that's been broken as a whole. And I think that is, can only be a good thing where everyone's doing something together. Isn't that just one of the best sounds, hearing that running water? hard to imagine two years ago these were bone dry and a lot of this was just brown it's it's seriously incredible i don't know how it's just green everywhere the mosses have returned you've got mushrooms growing everywhere so this on the left here you have the continuation of the trail and it goes all the way back up to the car park the other car park This part of the walk takes the longest, so an hour and a half, just slow walk up this way. I don't think you see that much this way. You actually look down into the canyon, but you don't really get to see much. If you head this way, which is the exit of the creek or the canyon, we're only gonna head 100 meters in, but it's mind blowing as it is, so. After you cross the pool, it just gets better. The walls get higher, more narrow, Yes, this is their home stretch.
1: Yeah, I guess the first time we crossed paths, mate, was a submission that you made to We Are Explorers back in the earlier days. I think oh, it was in yeah. 2016. Yeah, really um, early.
2: Hey? Even before I'd taken a big group, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It was the donkey, the donkey mountain hike. Yeah, I remember right. when it came That's in, thinking, "Where well, the chuff is Donkey Mountain? This place sounds nuts." <laughs> um and i remember the photos you, you know you sent through it was sort of stunning the story had um yeah you know, the you know the words that accompanied it was kind of like it, it just embodied everything that, that we were trying to, to i guess embrace and and encourage through through what we were doing but obviously there's like a little bit more to this adventure
2: isn't there oh well where do we begin huh? so
1: can you just tell me a bit about what happened on the the fateful donkey mountain adventure so
2: let's see i guess if you've been um, lucky enough let's say to go on a tour with me Um, (laughs) most people have heard about this at least once or twice because it's it is an experience and i have to tell people i haven't not had my share of problems and um, encounters in the past i have been underprepared so donkey mountain was a mountain that had been on my radar for a long time as uh if you look around Greater Sydney and its surrounds, there aren't many high-rise mountains, the um, standalone mountains to be um, precise. There's a lot of ranges where you travel up, you get the top of the plateau and kind of look down and you're already at the top of the mountain via car. Mm-hmm. The Donkey Mountain, which is in the Gardens of Stone National Park, just next to Wollemi and the Greater Blue Mountains, mm-hmm. uh, it had been on my radar for a year or two, but it, all the reports that I'd seen up to that date Everything said, off-trail, needs good navigation, can get lost. And I should have taken those warnings even more seriously than I already seriously did. Because I was prepping myself for it. So one day, um, myself uh, and four other individuals, um, they are still friends until this day, which is something I hold dear. Um, One of them I actually met on the day. So this is convenient together. We decided... We're going to go for a sunrise, we'll head to Donkey Mountain, climb the mountain, head back down and camp very nearby and do another day of adventures the next day. So we take it quite easy and not have to drive too much back and forth. And so that was the plan, but nothing ever goes to plan, does it? So we head to the sunrise, it was amazing. The day pack's on. Yeah,
1: that's okay, right. Got stuff ready for the day. And, and so there's four of you on the trip?
2: Uh, there's five of us there's five time. okay
1: and how much experience did the crew had? look
2: most of us all had been on a variety of walks so this yeah. was actually because it was an, you could say a uh, discovery trip for us we didn't know the trails and it was an off trail walk mm-hmm. most of us had had a bit of experience before I had what three years of walking and yeah. and if you lay the scene out it was um, a winter's day it was a very clear winter's day in the morning it was sub-zero but daytime temperatures got up to 18 19 degrees so it was quite balmy while in the daytime so just before we're setting off some of us were you know in singlets some of us were donned very lightly because it was getting quite warm quite quickly by the time we started the walk it was about 11 a.m we found our way to the top it's an off-trail walk so you have to bash your way kind of way to the top it's about 350 meters of ascent and we got to the top an astounding view. I have to say though, as we were heading up, there was many times my fear of heights was triggered. I've got a very deliberating fear of heights in me and it kind of does break me down time to time, which is a lot of people find a bit surprising, but it is part of me. Mm-hmm. We got to the top of Donkey Mountain and it was just an amazing experience. We Donkey Mountain is a bit of a plateau. It's a one kilometer long plateau, mm-hmm. but from every edge of a cliff you can just see beautiful valleys just stretch for ages and it's one of the best mountains I've ever climbed and it's still to my day right in my heart but not for this not for this reason to be honest <laughs> uh, I we were adventuring on the top and because the top was had a lot of scrub and overgrowth we it take us a, a lot more time to walk from one A to B than we thought. So by the time we got to where we wanted to go, it was about 3 p.m., we started heading back to what we thought was our exit point and it started getting to about 4, 4.30 in the evening and we were still on the top of the mountain, I dare say. In the winter, sunsets at about 5 o'clock. So at about 4.30, we were searching for an exit down but Donkey Mountain, there's no real exits down. You kind of just scramble your way down. So we couldn't find the same point that we came up. So it was about sunset, 5pm now, and we just couldn't find a way down. And we took, we got one last effort to try and make it down. We got to the edge of a cliff that I personally thought was impossible to get down. And that's at, That's the very moment I broke down and started crying because my fear of heights kicked in as I looked down that cliff. And well, I don't know. That's just what happened. <laughs> I... <laughs> Sat back down, and I think it took me about ten minutes to get back to my wits. But we all just agreed at that point we were staying on top of the mountain. And
1: so this is why this is mid winter. Mid winter. Mid winter. Yes. You've got day packs on. Yes. Um, so you had maybe like a mid layer jacket on or something like that. Three people had jackets. Two three, didn't. Three people had jackets. Two people didn't have jackets yeah. on. Yeah. So I guess you didn't have obviously food
2: for for the evening No, you had we food. did not. Out of water. We had probably about just under a liter between five of us. Jeez, yeah. I think most people would probably sit down and cry at that moment. Mate, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh my god! So goodness. you must have been
1: pretty, um, yeah. Like at this point, like you made the decision, right? We're going to ride out the night. Yeah. What was the what was the what was the mood like in the in the team? Because were you sort of not in charge, but were you the more experienced of the of the crew? So. I mean, this becomes a bit of a Lord of the Flies yeah, situation, right. but you know, like, did were you stepping up as kind of um, the leader almost at, at this point to like make the call, or like what? What? Because you know, I'm guessing. I'm guessing there's a lot of panic in the crew, right, yes. at this time. So, so what? So the funny is, for me,
2: I guess the main point is that surprised all of us when we look back on this incident was mm. no one ever panicked, and it was such. We look back on it now and we think, <sighs> how did no one panic? Because it's just situation no one's planned for, mm. it's just come up on us suddenly. Normally in a situation like that, because I convened the whole group together to go on this hike, I would probably feel the initiative to take charge. But initially, because mm. I had gone through that fear of heights um, episode, I couldn't initially take charge. Mm. And it was more up to two others who were a bit more experienced uh, along with me. Mm. That So they did a bit more of, they were trying to look at a map, we did have a map at the top, but the map is not your average Google Maps per se. This is a hand-drawn hand map but that's very hard to follow. Mm. Um, oh, full credit to Jeff Fox, by the way, who's drawn this beautiful map. We can understand it now, but back <laughs> then it was hard to decipher it. And we all thought we need a fire and we need to find a cave. Those were the two things that we were thinking of at that point. Yeah. and. We did everything we can to find a cave where we would be able to huddle in with a fire next to us so that we could spend the whole night. And I think it took us about an hour to get there using our phone torches. And mm. I think one person had a la- torch just by pure luck. And we did eventually find our way there. And from then on, I think it was 6 p.m. to 7 a.m. the next day it was long winter nights, mm. this was just... How do we get through the night? And we took turns kind of getting a bit of shut eye, someone looking over the fire. How do we make the fire? That's another story. We had some matches, but we didn't really have any starters. So we had to find our own ways to get that started, which was a challenge, which took our mind off things. That was a great thing too.
1: Got out of context, caves fires and huddling sounds quite quite nice, but it's actually in this, in, in <laughs> this scenario, it's <laughs> far no from it. So I mean, like everyone's just like I suppose the fire would have kept you warm, thankfully. I mean that thank thank God you had like you know matches or some way of actually like igniting a fire.
2: Yeah. Um, so luckily as so you just
1: huddled around the fire um and people are sort of nodding off to
2: sleep and just, you know, kind of getting through. So the three people that did have jackets were somewhat a bit more warmer than the rest. But I think as long as the wind was stagnant at the time, mm. which was where we were staying, was pretty good. Yeah. Um, the fire would keep us, or the direction that we were facing to the fire, that was warm. The back mm. of us was really cold because mm. that night reached about minus two, minus three at night. This was evident <laughs> as we, when we actually headed down the next day, when we eventually did, the ground was 100% frozen everywhere because it was that cold. And oh, I don't man. know how we got through that night. <laughs> so,
1: so that was such a relief when, you know, you started to see, you know, the sky colour kind of change yeah. and, and start to see, like, the sun beginning to sort of rise and, and sort of thaw, thaw you all out again. When um, when morning struck, was it just a case of, right, you know, once there's enough light, we're just going to get moving and just be able to pick our way? Because I think what, what I'm quite – I mean, obviously, like, it is a walking billboard for what not to do on yes. a hike in so many ways, right? But there's also some decisions that you probably made in that scenario which – Probably saved your bacon. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Because right, yeah. I think in other scenarios, and I think you know, when people are in this situation where it's pretty intense and you've got to make these calls, you know, some would have probably said, you know what, let's just let's just get down this mountain, even though it's dark and we haven't got all got torches or or whatever it might be, because then, of course, especially on this particular mountain, because I understand it's like there's a lot of vertical drops. Yeah, and you could quite right. easily, you know, walk off. You know that that is. A quite quite a you know, possible scenario. So the fact that you kind of didn't do that in that snow is probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that you were able to like find this cave, get a fire, going, like that would have obviously quite literally probably saved saved your lives. To be yeah. fair. So then, so yeah. So obviously, like the next morning, like what happened then?
2: Something had to get us through the night, even before the morning, and mm. that was what thirteen hours of night. Mm. And God, what about awesome. midnight? The most beautiful. When a lot of um, photographers will know and just general people where the galaxy core will rise in the sky and you could take astrophotography or mm. whatnot but the cave canyon system that we were in when we looked up the Milky Way core aligned with the opening that was right above us and it was the most beautiful sight that mm. I'd ever seen because I had never taken photos of stars until that point mm. and when we saw that our fears and our cold kind of disappeared for 30 minutes <laughs> let's just say that 30 minutes and we headed up to look at the stars in that situation, because we, we thought we'd make the best out of this bad situation anyway. And we forgot about our cold for about half an hour. We came back down and then we were miserable again. The next day, we woke up, it's about seven. We're finding our way out. We're thinking, we gotta get down, we gotta get down. From the top of Donkey Mountain, we actually can see our cars. It's just a matter of finding our way down. That's the yeah. difficult part. But, mm. but as we're heading down, we look into the valley around us and it's misty, the sun's shining down mm. on it. And we thought, you know what? We're up here already. We're going to take a few more photos and enjoy the sunrise. And this is one of the photos on um, the website that yeah, I sent to you. This is one, not the, su- story,
1: the story behind the photos is what we wanted exactly. to say. It's, it's so- not
2: as pretty as it seems. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, Look, we amazing. eventually got down at about 10am, not easily. And even though we went straight up to the mountain in the beginning, when we got down, we were three kilometres away from our car. So mm-hmm. we had to walk back to our car's on top of what we'd already gone through. Mm. Yeah. And once we got to the cars, we had all our food waiting for us. This is the food from the night before, the morning. Because we, had, we hadn't set up camp, so this is just everything waiting for us. Mm. And we decided to just open a big feast at about 10 a.m. Medieval mm. feast oh. at 10 o'clock. It was yeah. was one of the best feeds I've had.
1: Am I right in saying that like two weeks after this trip, you actually applied to become a, a tour guide?
2: So <laughs> what, what happened then was... <laughs> Um, obviously, it didn't scar me, scar me enough, and <laughs> I reached out to a friend in Newcastle. Um, her name's Catherine. We decided that we'd convene a few people together on a Insta Meet, which is what I think is still called. That now is it not? Uh, I think yeah, so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So it was just a completely <laughs> free event. People can come um, as they choose. It was more of a just a relaxed drive by different location um, experience on the Central Coast. I had no idea that the event was going to blow out and we attracted oh, 30 plus people and it was just only added more fuel mm. to my um, fire, just mm. proving to myself that people wanted to come with me. People wanted to learn more, not just learn more, but indulging that experience. Mm. So like what, what is it that drives you
1: to not give up and just sort of, you know, keep pursuing this, this dream of becoming the tour guide, adventure, adventure guide.
2: I guess the adventure guide thing, it's it comes hand in hand to me with the adventure part of it. A lot of people are looking for adventure and mm. a thrill and something that will blow their minds away and a view that will make them gasp. And I think mm. that part of it really draws on the connection to nature side where they see a view and that's amazing and they can feel a sense of uh, like a connection to nature. Mm. I think the other part of it that I really want to trade to my people or the people that come with me, is the respect and the awareness they need to have for what they see. Not just, this, this place looks great, I'm going to admire it, but what are you going to do to help protect and preserve it? My vision as High Can Seek has always been to share what knowledge I have with people, however limited it may be, and really see the beauty for it is. like Connect with nature, but also help them to respect it, help them to see why they need mm-hmm. to care for it, Because they can build a connection with the nature, but it will only be strengthened by that deep Mm. care for someone. You may become a friend with someone, but it's not until you actually care for them when they're in need, when they're asking for your help, that you really feel that that bond. So we need to protect the whole world everywhere we go, not just the secret places that are beautiful. Mm. So my mission has always been to share as much as I can, share knowledge, knowing that, It's a double-edged sword because there will be some people that won't have the same mindset and obviously have different agendas for attending these places. Mm. But I do have the belief that most people are good and are willing to learn more and help protect Mm. the areas that we walk upon.
1: Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to say a big thank you to Dan for sharing his story with us today. Massive shout out to Arc'teryx, our sponsor of the show, who've made this whole thing possible. And a thank you to Sean Brain, our awesome producer, and to Jonathan for working the magic in the editing suite.